do you have what it takes to to really stick through those points where physically you can continue to go, but you know it's going to be a lot longer and it's going to be a lot longer haul? Uh, and can you mentally get over that hump? Welcome to Ultra Habits. Here, we go under the hood with our guests to unpack the minutiae and to understand what processes and systems they engage or research that result in ultra-enhanced living. Howdy folks, it is RJ Singh here from Ultra Habits, and we are thanking you for joining us on another episode today. So we have Justin Crocker on the show today. Justin, like most of our guests, has a ton of range. So Justin was a airborne U.S. Army officer. He was a chief operating officer. He led 58 soldiers and civilians. They were responsible for a whole heap of stuff, really integrated with the special forces group. And ultimately, he became a Green Beret. So Justin's story is really one about pivoting, right? So he was a Green Beret. He really wanted to elevate himself. So he decided to go get educated. He went to Yale. That was a really transformative piece for him where, you know, he went from military elite hanging around operators that were really gifted in complex scenarios where your life is at risk to moving into a new environment with new elite individuals, but in a much different way. And we really unpack that in the show, you know, correlation and comparisons and really analyzing what he was able to bring with his Green Beret experience into his academic career. Ultimately, Justin left the military and became the director for domestic counterterrorism. So he started to work on policy in Washington. And he kind of realized through his tenure that, look, it was really interesting work, real critical work, important work, but it was really taking him away from the relationship with his family, his wife. And again, this led to the next pivot. So Justin now runs kickboxing gyms with his wife. His wife is really into martial arts. Justin's a pretty fit dude himself. And they decided to take on gyms that focus on female martial arts. And that's what he's doing today. And we really wanted to unpack not only his journey, his learnings from the Green Beret experience to Yale, to ultimately working for the United States government in counterterrorism, but having that courage to ultimately pivot to something that he felt was more around family purpose and would ultimately give him his time back so he could focus on the things that matter. This is a high-performance conversation, folks. You're really going to enjoy it. You're really going to enjoy the contrasts and comparisons and discussions we make around his time in the military, his time at Yale. I think there's a lot in that. There's a lot in that that we can all learn from his experience and ultimately how he's now shifting his focus to something that's really about how his family is going to create value and how they can do it together. Anyways, folks, I'm going to leave you in the capable hands of Justin. Enjoy the show. As always, please rate this podcast. Peace. Justin, welcome to the Ultra Habits podcast. The sun is just coming up here in Melbourne, Australia. I believe it's evening the day before. So welcome from the next day down here, down under. <laughs> yeah, thanks. I uh, hope the weather's good uh, tomorrow. <laughs> uh, th- <laughs> thanks for uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. I've, I've, uh, since we connected, I've been been able to listen to uh, a number of your your podcasts. Really become a fan of the show. So it's a it's an honor for me to to be on here. Yeah, it's it's really kind of strange. So I, you know, I've become a um, through the the podcast. I've built a lot of relationships with people within the military, ex military, and I've become part of this group of ex military people. But I'm like the only non military person. So sometimes I feel like a bit of an imposter. But it just seems like we have a lot of ex military on the show. And obviously that that does make sense because we're all about structure and habits and discipline. And I came across you, I think on LinkedIn, and I just liked the range of your background. Like, you know, and we're gonna we're gonna unpack that. You know, I mean there's a lot going on there, but 
let's let's talk about a post I actually saw on LinkedIn the other day. You compared being a green beret and some of those qualities required to do so. Um, very similar to being an entrepreneur. Can you unpack that? Yeah, uh, happy to. So, you know, my, my background the last 10 years of my career uh, was as a Green Beret. And, you know, I'd always had it in my head that maybe being an entrepreneur was, was going to be for me and being a business owner. Um, and we can get into all, all that and what me and my wife are, are getting ready to do. But, um, you know, as we start the business and we're still, you know, very much in, in the, the beginning phase of this, I really started to recognize there are a lot of things between the the Army Special Forces community, the Green Berets, uh, as far as kind of an entrepreneurial spirit of that that uh, community and what entrepreneurs do, uh, you know, willingness to kind of jump out there. I mean, at some point, you, you just jump out there, very little support. Um, you know, sometimes you don't fully know what you're getting into. Um, but you do it because you have a vision uh, and, and you, you believe in yourself and you believe in your team to uh, to get you through that vision. Um, and, you know, when, for, for the Green Braves, that's kind of what we, you know, we, we, we put our uh, our bread and butter in is being able to, uh, you know, maybe we don't know a whole lot about the situation we're getting into. That's typically why, you know, one of the reasons why a Green Brave team would be put into a situation is don't know a lot about it, don't want to put in a lot of conventional forces. We don't want a, a really heavy footprint. Sometimes we don't want, you know, anybody to know that the U.S. is in there. Uh, so a Green, you know, Green Beret team or an, an operational attachment alpha is a really good tool to do that. And you kind of just figure it out, right? You're, you're, you're maybe given a, a little bit of money, but not a lot. Uh, very few resources. Uh, you, you, you develop relationships with the area you go into um, and you really just figure it out. Um, and all, sometimes all you have is your, is yourselves to rely on. And, um, I found that, you know, being, being a new entrepreneur, um, is similar, you know, sometimes you, uh, you know, the, the biggest thing that, that I found so far is just developing relationships and holding on to relationships and, you know, not being afraid to ask for help. And then also not, not being afraid to, to just jump out there and, and not being afraid to, to make mistakes knowing you will. Um, so that there are a lot of similarities. And I think as we, we go through this uh, journey with, with me and my wife and, and opening up a business, um, we're going to continue to to find uh, more and more similarities. You talk about ambiguity. How does, or what do you learn in the Green Berets that enable you to manage ambiguous environments? And the reason I ask that is I look at the business that I'm in or any number of businesses I've been in. And I find when there's ambiguity, people either get paralyzed or they get impulsive and they just start to move. Like movement makes us feel like we're progressing, whereas it could create chaos. Like how did you guys learn to manage ambiguity? Was it a process? Was it a lot of a behavioral? Did you guys have to discipline yourself? Like what was the makeup there? Yeah, uh, in a deployed environment, ambiguity is, is you're surrounded by it. Um, anytime that I was deployed, uh, there was ambiguity around the situation. Typically, that's why we were there. Um, I, I think that part of it is, you know, there's a selection process associated with, with becoming a Green Beret. I mean, you're, you're, you go through a, a three-week assessment selection course, you know, and one of the things that you're selected for is your ability, not necessarily to, to know all the answers, but to really operate in a very ambiguous environment. The, the environment at selection is, is designed specifically to not provide you a lot of feedback as a candidate. And so I think that part of, there's, there's nothing really taught to, to the, the individual Green Berets or the teams about operating in an ambiguous environment, but I think you're really, um, you're really selected for that kind of, of trait. Um, and it, it's, there's no, there's no secret sauce associated with it. You know, I mean, being comfortable with being uncomfortable is, is kind of the name of the game there. Just, you know, your willingness to, to really look at a situation, you know, so typically speaking, when you're in an ambiguous situation, you, you have the time to take a pause, right? A lot of people don't recognize that. A lot of people think, just like you said, I got to start moving or I'm going to be paralyzed and, and hope this just goes away. Um, I think the people that certainly I was with in the community um, and continue to see, you know, kind of in, in the entrepreneurial space is 
their willingness, their, 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 no, their knowledge that I can take a pause, you know, um, when I was with the green Berets, sometimes you're being shot at. So, you know, you, you don't necessarily, <laughs> you don't, you know, you, you, you take care of that, but typically those, those last very, I mean, minutes, you know, like a period of minutes where you can, you can solve that problem. And then you can kind of get to a position where you can, you can take a pause and you can assess. When you're assessing, you, you know you're not going to have all the information available to you, but you can at the very least take a pause um, and really think through, hey, what are some options? Like they're not necessarily going to be the best option. What are some options that I can do right now to get some momentum? Because eventually you, you do have to get out of that paralyzed state. You do have to start making some decisions. M- momentum will create more momentum. Momentum will create more opportunities to, to get some more information. Um, and so eventually you're going to get in, in the right track. And I, you know, kind of a long way of saying, um, for the green Bray side, I really think that there's a, that they do a really good job of selecting guys. Um, and, and now gals that are, are really good at just understanding that I have options and I'm going to get myself to a point where I can, I can really think through this next step. And then I'm going to start making momentum. Do you think that trait? Justin is innate or can be nurtured? Like when you look at your life, were you calm and graceful under pressure or were you like a maniac as well? Like, did you learn to develop that? I I did. Yeah. Uh, Growing up, I I don't think that, you know, I think that uh, a 13 year old Justin would be shocked that he became a Green Beret, you know, Uh, 40, 41, almost 42 year old Justin is sometimes shocked he became a Green Beret. I, 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 for, for me, it was, you know, I, I'm not going to say that it's not nature. You know, I think that people can be born with that trait and they're just very comfortable with it from a very young age. For me, I think it was, um, I, I don't know when the tipping point came, but for, for, you know, for me, it was a, a willingness to put myself in uncomfortable positions. Um, I was fairly young. Uh, you know, I graduated high school at 17. I joined the army when I was 17. You know, that was the first kind of uncomfortable position I put myself in. Um, and then, you know, just the willingness to jump into, you know, things like uh, becoming an infantry officer and, and going to special forces assessment selection and, you know, being willing to um, be, being willing to not to, to, to accept the fact that failure is a potential. But if, if I if I fail, I'm still right where I started. But best case is, is I succeed. Um, and I, I'm, I'm, you know, now moving on, on a different path. So, um, yeah, for me, it, it was, it was the willingness to put myself out there to not be overly concerned about failure, knowing that failure was going to be inevitable. Um, and when you put yourself in more and more uncomfortable situations and positions, you're always going to feel uncomfortable with being uncomfortable. A green beret, you know, is, will be the first to tell you that being uncomfortable, sometimes it sucks. Right. Um, but if you're willing to put yourself out, eventually you're going to become comfortable with have, with being uncomfortable. And then you're going to be comfortable with making decisions in those types of environments. Mm. You build up the illustrative examples to yourself that you've been through this level of ambiguity before. And you start to have more trust in your decision making process or things will unfold the way that they do. But you have confidence in your ability to cope now. One of the things that you also talked about when you related your experience as a Green Beret to entrepreneurship is an unyielding belief that you're going to make it, right? And you're going to succeed. My question is, how as a Green Beret or any kind of elite military um, operation, I would imagine you have to adopt that kind of mindset, but how do you overlay that with practicality? I guess what I'm asking is, how do you ensure you're not blinded by your grandiose around the unwit, you know, the willing, you know, the unwillingness to fail, and you're going to keep going? Like, how do you make sure that it's not grounded in irrationality, and that there's some, you know, there's some, there's some factual kind of reasoning behind that? Best answer I can give you is is you don't do anything alone. Um, you know, the, the Green Berets and, and the, the larger special operations community uh, is smaller and, and we typically work in smaller teams and operational attachment alpha for, for, a, a, uh, for the Green Berets is, is 12 people, uh, 12 men or, or 12, you know, 12 men or women. Um, 
and in in those positions where you, you you're trying to make a good decision and there's different routes to go sometimes some can be more bold and audacious than others you really rely on your mates to um help you think through you know for me as a commander of an, of an operational attachment alpha I, I was ultimately responsible for making the final decision i never once made a decision single-handedly uh if i had 15 seconds to call my second in command and and you know my senior non-commissioned officer and have a very quick chat about Here's here's a few things that are going on. Here's an op- here's some options we had. I always did it. Never was I in a position where I had to to make a, a call or a decision for my team where I couldn't um, get the counsel. E- e- again, even if it was you know just for just for a few seconds, uh, get the counsel of those guys. Um, and and typically that's how we we get ourselves we, we get ourselves from or we save ourselves from getting into too much trouble. Because uh, there's a lot of opportunity to uh, make the wrong call, make the the bold move that we think maybe is going to, you know, finish this operation quicker or get us to an end state quicker. Um, and typically, you know, you, you have your mates to to really lean on uh, in those situations. I, I'd love to tell you that I have just this innate ability to analyze a decision, you know, appropriately and always make the right one. But the reality is I'm human. All Green Berets are human. All special operators are human. Um, and, and when it comes to decision-making, we, we rely on, on each other to, to help come up with the best decision possible. Within the special operations community, when you look at the individuals that make up those teams, are they like really good athletes? Well, I can tell you that there's at least one non-athlete in the group. Well, there was at least one non-athlete in the Green Berets because I, I was one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, I definitely grew up, uh, you know, as, you know, athletic, uh, I grew up, in, I was in, I was in shape, always enjoyed, you know, um, sports and things like that. Never an elite, uh, never at an elite level. Um, but, but I, you know, I, I think that especially when, when guys go to assessment selection, my, my, that's been my, um, experience is through the special force assessment selection. Uh, so I can't really speak too much about some of the other the SEALs and, and the, the Marine Special Operators. But we're all kind of, you know, we're all very, very, there's a lot, there's more similarities than there are differences. Um, you do have to be physically fit, right? Like you don't have to be super athletic. Um, I'm a perfect example of that, but you do have to be physically fit. Uh, I, I will say that, you know, some of the more elite athletes, uh, you know, they the guys that show up to assessment selection with, you know, three or 5% body fat. Typically, the, those guys really struggled and didn't make it. Um, yeah, it, they, they, I mean, you know, day one, you look at them and it's, it's this Adonis, you know, and you're like, holy shit, how do I even keep up with this guy, you know? But then by day 10, uh, he, he's either not there or, or he's really struggling. You can tell he's probably not going to make it. Um, you know, the one caveat to that would be an endurance athlete for special forces assessment and selection. Uh, if someone came with an endurance athlete background, they, they probably had a pretty good chance of making it. Um, so there's still a lot of mental component to assessment and selection. Um, but if you're physically fit, you know, less of your, less of your oxygen intake is being, you know, is being used to feed your body and, and, and more is being used to, to feed your brain. Whereas, you know, if you if you came with really really high end athletic abilities, where you just you know you don't have the endurance, uh, and that oxygen starts to really have to, your body and your muscles really having to start to use that oxygen, less and less of it that's going to go in your brain, and you're probably making some bad decisions. But yeah, you know, whole gamut of of, of folks that, that go through and are successful with assessment selection. The the biggest one though is is the mental game. Um, do you do you have what it takes to to really stick through? those points where physically you can continue to go, but you know, it's going to be a lot longer and it's going to be a lot longer haul. Uh, and can you mentally get over that hump? It's something quite talked about now in the business community. I think in the nineties or early two thousands, everyone was talking about EQ, but now people are talking about the adversity quotient, right? So your ability to, to, to be resilient and adaptable, uh, within complex situations, whether that is physically demanding, emotionally, mentally, or even spiritually demanding, however you want to define it, that typically is where the competitive advantage lies. So 
we'll we'll pivot the conversation now to your journey into and out of the military. So somehow you ended up at Yale. So you went from being born in uh, uh, Travis, uh, Travis Air Force Base, close to where I grew up. So I'm, I'm from Vallejo. And uh, you, you end up in the military and um, you become a Green Beret. And uh, so you're kind of like Rambo at this point in time. And then you decide that you're going to flex some more and, and become an Ivy League school guy. So what's that all about, Justin? I'm still trying to figure out. Uh, I, I think, I think Yale, you know, they, they still look at me as a, a huge error uh, now. <laughs> How do we let that guy in? Um, yeah, I, I was, uh, this, so this was, I, I attended Yale after my, um, after I was a, a team leader for, for a Green Beret team. And then I did um, uh, about 18 months as a company commander um, in that, in that unit after my, my team time. Um, and I, I was given the opportunity, the, the army, uh, has really treated me well. Uh, it was a, di- a difficult place to leave. Um, they, they provided me the opportunity to attend Yale as opposed to going to, um, uh, kind of a more traditional, uh, it's, it's key and developmental, uh, or it's, it's the, the, the program, when you hit the certain rank that I was at, you have to go away for, for kind of a formalized schooling. And there's a formal school um, that the Army likes to send folks to. But every once in a while, they'll, they'll offer the opportunity to a few of us to, to do was a, that a private u- Was that a, a, school, a military school or like a, like a, a private university that they're aligned with? Uh, so so th- this particular one was a, um, it was a broadening program. So Yale's obviously a, uh, yeah, Yale's a, a, a private school. So instead of going to the command general staff college where the majority of my peers went, uh, the army allowed me to go to Yale for two years. Uh, it was a privately funded scholarship, um, by a, a gentleman that, that helps fund a lot of the other programs. Uh, some of the programs at West point, things like that. Uh, so I applied for the program, got in, um, was petrified that I was going to be the the only award recipient that wasn't going to get into a school. So I applied to seven graduate programs, which was a terrible idea. Uh, took me forever to do it. Um, you know, I got into most of them, was fortunate enough to get into Yale um, and uh, spent two really transformative years there uh, in the, the Jackson Institute for Global Affairs, which is now the, the Jackson School for Global Affairs. It's the first uh, school that Yale's created, I think since the seventies, um, you know, a really transformative time in, in my life, uh, really brought, you know, it was, it was a broadening program really brought in the idea for me that there was a different type of life and a different way of thinking that I was just wasn't aware of. I mean, you know, we, we have similar roots in the East Bay, Bay area. Um, you know, I, I came from a, a fairly blue collar family. I enlisted in the army at 17. I'd been a soldier you know, since I attended Yale and all of a sudden I, I find myself moving me and my, my wife and my very young son, he was 11 days old when we moved to, to New Haven. Um, and, uh, yeah, you would talk about a, a culture shock for me, uh, very, very different from Fort Bragg, North Carolina, from being surrounded you know, by, by other green berets to going to a university, um, where, I mean, you know, everybody's heard of Yale and, and the, the name, you know, they have earned their name. I mean, the, the, the level of education, the level of thought, the level of um, just caring that I received for my two years at Yale was, was really, it was transformative in my life. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's how I ended up there. I, I like to say I kind of backdoored back into Yale. Uh, you know, I went as a 35-year-old Green Beret. And I, I think I probably got on in more on my merits than my, I did okay academically, but I think they, you know, they, they took a leap of faith and, and uh, ho- hopefully they don't regret it. And just with that, like there surely would have been parallels, right? Like you come from a strong culture, deep indoctrination within the Green Berets. Like, did you see the parallels where you able, where the, was there a common thread? And I guess the second question is, you talked about it being transformative. Let's let's unpack what that actually means. Yeah, uh, certainly parallels. To answer your first question, yeah, there, there's certainly parallels between um, the the culture of Yale and the culture of the students 
and, and the culture of the Green Berets. Um, you know, both are uh, very ambitious people. Um, you know, you, you don't become a Yale student without being highly, highly ambitious. Um, and you don't become a Green Beret without becoming highly, highly ambitious. Um, you know, intellect, obviously, you know, Yale's full of some of the most brilliant people I've ever been around uh, and learned a lot from them. Uh, the Green Berets, same thing. I mean, the, 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 the level of intellect that I observed both on my team and then with the people that I commanded later was just, it, it was, it always shocked me at how thoughtful Green Berets were, uh, you know, when they were getting ready for a mission. I mean, th these are, these are guys that spend just hours, days, months focused on getting ready for a mission, uh, getting ready to deploy. And they, they never leave a stone unturned. They never leave a detail left untouched. Um, and same with Yale students, like, you, you know, you can't get through Yale um, without being very detail oriented, without caring about the work you're doing, without caring about preparing for class. Um, and so very, very dissimilar organizations, di dissimilar functions, but the people that make up the, the two organizations are really, um, there, there's more similarities there than I think we probably. Question, Justin, with this. Do you, and this is a mad generalization, do you think that it would be easier for a Green Beret to complete a Yale degree or an elite or a highly functioning Yale student to become a Green Beret? That's a tough question. I think both are capable of either. I think that a Yale student would probably have a more difficult time becoming a Green Beret, not because they're not capable of it. Certainly intellectually, they're capable of it. Certainly. Physically, most of them are capable of either maybe not at the particular time they're going to Yale, but they have the discipline to get ready physically to, to become a Green Beret. I, I think it just comes down to you really have to want to be a Green Beret to become a Green Beret. And most of the kids at Yale have a ton of options. Uh, that's not to say that, I, I, you know, I haven't seen um, great students from Yale become Green Berets. In fact, I'm uh, you know, been mentoring one in particular, and, and hopefully he's getting ready to, to, to head on out to basic training. Yale, Yale grad, Yale undergrad, getting ready to go, go to basic training to become a Green Beret. Um, but to become a Green Beret, you, re you really got to want to become a Green Beret. And I can't, I can't genuinely say that, that there's a lot of Yale students that want to become Green Berets just because they, they have a ton of options available to them. So you talked about the, the process being transform transformative. How does a person that's been a green beret that's probably experienced so many crucibles, you're you'd be internally aware, you'd be really aware of your operating system and, and operating within kind of an optimized mindset. Like how does something like Yale transform a green beret? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh for so the the transformative the transformative experience for me was exposure to um, really high-end critical thought. Um, I, I, you know, certainly as a Green Beret, I, you know, I always thought through things critically, but at the end of the day, you know, I was a soldier. Uh, at the end of the day, I, I took orders. Um, I put a lot of thought into how I was going to execute those orders. Um, but you know the army isn't the army is a fantastic organization. It's a great place, and it, it, it provides you a venue for for critical thought. But you're rewarded for action. You're rewarded for you know getting getting a mission and then achieving that mission and then getting ready for the next mission. At, at Yale, uh, the critical the the level of critical thought there was was shocking to me as far as the type of thought the type of critical thought that you're expected to to produce. Um, and critical thought in the sense of not just, you know, reading the, reading the, the particular, you know, set of readings that you were going to do for, for class that day, but coming to class with your own opinion about what you were going to be discussing, your own opinion about what you thought the solutions were. Um, that wasn't, that, that for me was, was transformative. Um, because not that, not that I hadn't been, a, been given the opportunity to provide my own thought. Um, 
but the, the really the level of thought that Yale expects you to, to, to the critical thought that Yale expects you to think at and and they expect you to bring your own thoughts to, to the problem. Uh, they don't want to hear what you read. They want to hear your arguments about it. As a soldier, I would imagine you may have to do things that you may have a view on, right? Like you may have a political view. Different members of the teams have different political views. And I guess what I'm asking is, in many ways, you may need to kind of set that aside and not have too strong of opinion, I would assume, to get the job done sometimes, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, everybody has their own, you know, Green Berets are, are, are all different, come from all different walks of life, all different thoughts. Uh, you know, one thing we don't really discuss much of is, is politics, just the, the community and the environment doesn't lend itself to that. But we all have our own opinions. Um, you know, there, there's uh, so having opinions is, is good and it's 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 um, it's uh, encouraged to have your own opinions. But uh, as long as, you know, if you're if you're conducting an operation, or you're getting ready to conduct a mission. Um, as long as what you're doing isn't unethical, immoral or, or illegal and the order that you're given to, to do that isn't unethical, Ill- illegal or immoral. Um, your opinion of whether we should or shouldn't be doing this is is it, it can be a liability if, if you allow it to get in the way of, of com- completing the mission. Uh, I've never run, run into that kind of situation. Guys, that's part of the culture. Guys know, like, I may not necessarily agree with what we're getting ready to do, but hey, I got it. Let's, let's, let's go do it. Um, yeah. So, but it, yeah. So it, yeah, to answer your question, um, it could be a liability if, if someone allowed it to interfere with mission accomplishment. Um, but I, I, I never ran into that. It's just part of the culture of, of, mission-focused, mission-oriented, team-focused, team-oriented, and we're going to get the job done. It's it's such a dynamic shift, right? Like, it's your move from being a Green Beret and a highly elite operating unit, as it is, and the norms that function within that environment of mission criticality, setting aside feelings, managing your state, all these things that are required to be an elite soldier, to then moving to becoming an elite student in this free-flowing ideas. Uh, like, and, you know, is to your earlier point, now you're like having to critically think and, and people are asking for your own interpretation of things. How did you take to that? My first class at Yale was uh, it was one of those moments where I, I thought, oh shit, am I, am I out of my element here? Right. And it was one of the first moments I'd had in my adult life. Um, this was after, you know, going through special force assessment selection, going through the, the qualification course, which is a year and a half long, going through combat. Right. I always felt very, very comfortable. There were moments of being uncomfortable, but, but very comfortable with being uncomfortable. My first class at Yale, um, it was we we were supposed we we had read Thucydides, right, uh, and we were going to go in and discuss Thucydides in the Peloponnesian War, and so I read that book. I think I read it twice, right? Because if you've ever read Thucydides uh, and the Peloponnesian War, it's a difficult read, um, but you read it, you know, and I and I re- read it from a perspective of a Green Beret. Um, and we went into class. It was an hour and a half long class. And the level of thought and detail that some of the, not just graduate students, but undergraduate students, 19, 19 20 year old students, and the way they were able to interpret some of the lessons that Thucydides was trying to teach in there uh, was mind boggling. So for me, that was my, that was my light moment of like, of, okay, this, this place requires different a different level of thought than i've been forced to apply in the past not not that i wasn't capable of doing it i just never been forced to think in that at that level um so fortunately you know yale was a, was a fantastic place I, I had a number of uh mentors and and some of the the more senior professors uh probably look at me and and see the the lost look in my eyes and uh 
you know, pull, pull me over the side and said, Hey, we're, we're going to, we're going to help you get, get through this. And so they, they helped me really like, uh, they, they really helped me ex- explore myself, what I was capable of academically. Um, I'd say it took me a good semester though, to really get my feet under me. You would have been a bit of a rock star though, surely. Right. Being a green beret, like, you know, like they're probably looking at you the same way you're looking at them. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I, I uh, it's funny. We had, we'd taken a, a micro economics test, uh, and, the, the, the then director of, of the Jackson Institute, now the, the Dean of the Jackson school, um, I bombed this test. I mean, I <laughs> bombed this test. And so you know, I'm sitting there, I, I go home and I tell my wife like, Oh, I just failed this test. I don't know how this is going to turn out, you know? And, uh, I get home and I turn on my email and there's an email from, from the, from the, uh, the director. Uh, and he said, Hey, you know, you didn't do so well on the test. He's like, Hey man, I didn't bring you here to, to, to knock microeconomics out of the park. I, I brought you here because you have some really unique experiences that, that my students need to be exposed to. Um, and so, yeah, you know, certainly was, was, um, you know, I, I brought a different flavor to, to my cohort. Uh, and my cohort was fantastic. It was a smaller cohort, about 25 folks really embraced me. We came from all different walks of life. I was the only, um, you know, military, one of a few military guys in there, uh, but a very unique background. Um, and they all really, really, um, uh, embraced me. Uh, and then, re- you know, realize like, okay, this dude also needs help in, in my book. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to, yeah, we're going to, we're going to help him out in micro. We're going to get him through it. M- microeconomics um, was uh, when I did my MBA, I had done some fluffy subjects and then I did micro and it was actually, the class was taught by an ex-army, ex-Australian army guy who was almost Aspergerish, And he he talked to, he told me later on, he talked to the highest student. So he brought everyone up. So he, he, he basically taught really quickly and it was very difficult, but he made, you, you just had to figure it out. But it was actually when I almost quit the MBA because there was maths obviously involved. And, you know, for someone like me and probably someone for like you, like we haven't done anything like that for forever. And I was horrible when I had to do it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and it was that moment where I was like, oh my God, like, can I do this? But so I, I feel actually feel uh your pain on that when it's brought up a, a lot of stuff for me so you you get through school and you ultimately get into um into counterterrorism right is this where you bring together like your soldiering and the kind of academic experience into into one and what was that experience like yeah uh after yeah i went back to to my special forces group for a few years and then uh, uh my my final assignment the, the assignment i just retired out of um, was as the deputy director for domestic counterterrorism. Um, so I was in the Pentagon, it was in the office of secretary of defense for policy. And that was the, that was the, the time where my military background, uh, and then my graduate studies really came together. Um, it's funny, you know, when I, when I first came on board, uh, I think that in the Pentagon, particularly in office of secretary of defense, where there's predominantly civilians, a lot of academics, I think a lot of them probably thought, oh, here comes here comes another green beret. We're gonna have to teach how to, how to write, you know? Um, and so, uh, but I think so. Yeah. Some of them were presently surprised like, Oh, this guy, you know, this guy can actually type and, and think and, and put, you know, cohesive sentences together, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's still a knuckle dragger, but he, he can at least write, you know, he can at least, you know, form a coherent thought and put it in words. Um, but I, you know, I really, I enjoyed my time in policy. Um, it, it was, uh, but it was the time where um, my tactical and operational experience in the army for, you know, the previous 18 years came together where I'm in, I'm in the Pentagon. I'm, I'm in the, the spot where, you know, decisions are made and, and ultimately go to the White House for, for ultimate, you know, approval and decision and approval. Uh, and I was able to, to work in that environment and, and, eventually move decisions, um, that, that really helped my mates down in, in the teams, you know, and, and, um, the, the, the policy world is, is slow and it's methodical. And sometimes, you know, it's, it's difficult to get those wins as quick wins. Quick wins are, are pretty rare. Uh, but when you do get one of something across the goal line, it feels good. But yeah, I, I, um, the, 
circling back, that's that's really where um, my tactical experience came together with with my operation or with my my grad school experience. And when and how did you decide that it was time to 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 leave? Like, what was the driving force there, Justin? Ultimately, it was it was family. Um, you know, the the army had provided me a home for, uh, since I was 17, you know, I'm almost 42. Um, and the, the, but the, you know, the, the, the grind of not just being in the army, but being a green beret, um, being deployed quite a bit. Uh, my last deployment prior to, um, going to the Pentagon was, was, you know, about six months in Somalia. Um, and it was, you know, it happened right at the beginning of COVID. I literally left my my wife with our uh, then five year old son and you know two year old daughter. Uh, w- within days of, of kind of everything starting to shut down, I, I got in a plane and headed off to Somalia and came back, you know, and really saw the the impact that it was having on the family. And so, you know, I, I kind of made a, a vow to myself when I when I came back from Somalia, hey, that, that's the last trip, that's the last one I'm doing. Um, so that was the beginning for me. Um, and then, you know, I got to the Pentagon and I thought, hey, you know, that's, that's really got to consider, you know, dropping paper, retirement paperwork. Uh, it, it's a lengthy process getting out of the Army. It's not just you don't just go in one day and like slap down your two weeks notice and you're out. Um, I wish it were that easy. Um, but, um, yeah, so for me, it, it ultimately came down to uh, providing a, um, you know, I, I wanted I wanted to provide a life where my family could thrive. And I felt like w- while we were thriving in, in the army, I knew that the constant moves and the constant deployment of me being gone was going to inhibit the level of, of thriving and the level of life that, that I think my family deserved. Uh, and so I, I knew the right decision was to get out. It was still incredibly, it, it was a, a gut-wrenching decision. I had, a, had an email generated um, you know, with all the attachments that, that you know, you got to, you send an email to your, your, what we call a branch manager. He's the guy that kind of manage you and your career at the rank you're at. And I had a, I had an email generated with all the appropriate attachments and all the appropriate letters. And I, and I probably had that thing, uh, in the, um, in the, in the, in the draft box for about three weeks. Yeah. Uh, but, but finally, you know, I, I had a, a pretty good talk with a friend of mine. He had recently retired, uh, looked better than I'd seen him in, in years. Um, and I, and I, you know, I, I knew it was the time. So, so I, I hit send and, you know, once I hit send on, on that, that retirement packet, it, it was a massive weight that was lifted off my shoulders. Um, and, 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 you know, from that day, it was about, a, about, about a year ago, uh, when I, when I submitted the paperwork till now, uh, there hasn't been a day where, where I thought, ah, did I, did I make the right decision or did I make the, the wrong decision that, you know, I've known in the back of my head since since I made that decision that it was the right one. Yeah, you talk about elements of like the high performing family and it's challenging when your performance and what drives you doesn't necessarily align with the outcomes that are best for the family. And I think you 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 made the right decision and you I think a lot of people, a lot of men particularly bury their heads in the sand and just you know it'll work out. Maybe it won't, maybe it will. Um, and I commend you on that. You did the needed thing, right? So now you're in another iteration of the Justin Crocker show. So we're talking about you and your wife are doing kickboxing gyms, right? For, for women, which I think is brilliant by the way. So how did, how did that happen? So, uh, the, the, we, we knew that we wanted to start a business. Uh, we knew that we wanted to go down the entrepreneurial path. Uh, we ultimately decided that franchising was going to be the right call for us. There was a number of reasons why we decided to do that. So the, the brand that we're, it, it is a franchise out of Canada it started expanding in the U.S. It's called 30 Minute Hits. Uh, it's out of Vancouver. Um, they, uh, they, I think they have about 90 gyms in, in Canada. Um, and that, like I said, they just started expanding in the U S uh, a couple of years ago, right before COVID. So it really kind of stalled them, stalled them a little bit. Uh, we looked at a, a bunch of different, different brands, um, and, and ultimately came down on this brand for a number of reasons. 
the primary for me was the culture of the company. Um, fantastic founders that are still very much involved in, in their their uh, their business and and really interested in, in making sure their franchises are are, are operating appropriately. Uh, an added benefit we we use a coach to help us find the, the right franchise. Uh, we never told them about this, but uh, so my wife has uh, a kickboxing and MMA background as an amateur. So she trained and then fought as an amateur uh, in boxing, kickboxing, and MMA fights. Uh, and so when this opportunity popped up, we thought this has to be it, right? Like this, this has to be the one. Um, so. Yeah, so we're we're steadily on the the path to open two gyms in the the northern Indianapolis area. Um, super super excited about it. My wife, you know, she had taken she she was an army officer as well, uh, and she got out. Yeah, so she got out in 2012. Um, you know, it got to the point with our marriage where that we were on opposite deployment cycles. We weren't seeing a lot of each other, uh, and so she made the the tough call to get out in 2012. Um, and you know, we started having kids, uh, a few years after that. And so she'd really removed herself from the, the, the workforce for since, you know, for like the last decade. Um, and we were, we're, we, you know, we knew that we wanted to get her back in, involved in, in, in working. Um, but you know, the how is, is, is a really important part of that. Um, you know, my wife is, is super talented, super smart. Uh, but the reality of being a, a stay-at-home mom for ten years is is if you're going to go corporate or you're going to go you're, you're going to start at, at, a, at a level that, in my opinion, most moms out there um, don't they 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 are worth more than what they're they're probably afforded. Uh, and so so this this business gives us the opportunity to do this together. Um, you know, she, she's actually, she's in charge. She's the CEO. I'm just with your wife, bro. You're always second in command. Don't worry about that. <laughs> we just formalized it, you know, in the, the articles of incorporation, we said, well, you're in charge anyway. So we'll, we'll, we'll just, we'll give you the title. Right. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, so, so this is an opportunity for us to work together. Um, you know, uh, provide a, a, a lifestyle for our family that, um, is unique, right? Like part of business ownership is, um, you know, we're going to be working hard, but it's going to be on our terms. Uh, we're going to, we're going to a lot more burden sharing with taking the kids to school, picking them up. Um, you know, I want to be able to pick the, the kids up from school on a random Wednesday and go have ice cream. Um, uh, you know, things like that. So, so we're, we're really excited about the, what, what the future holds for us. A lot of unknowns, a lot of, you know, a lot of work left to do. Um, but, you know, we, we shifted our, my, my thought shifted from kind of going back to, uh, the decision to, to be an entrepreneur. Um, you know, when we moved to DC and I was in the Pentagon, I was convinced that the DC life and the policy life or the corporate life was, was the, was the road I was going down. Right. My brand was green beret officer, Yale grad, right? Like the, the brand was the, the, the DC grind. Um, and there were a few, you know, days in the Pentagon where I thought, man, I'm not sure if this is if this is the right move for the family. Uh, and this is after we'd even decided to get out. Um, and so re really making decisions based on how do we want our lives to feel as opposed to what do I want to do? Right. Like a lot. I think a lot of and kind of going back to your comment, uh, I think a lot, you know, you said a lot of guys kind of knows the grindstone. This this will eventually pass and it never does. Um, and I think they focus too much on what, what it is they're doing, what's their title, what's their income, right? As opposed to how, how does their life feel? And I really made a conscious decision that, that I want my life to feel different. And I want my, there's certain things that I want to be able to do in my day. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to form a life around that as opposed to, you know, a fancy title or, or a big paycheck. Um, and, you know, there, there's a lot. There's a lot associated with that decision, but uh, we we for the first time in, in a while we we both me and my wife feel like we're, we're on the right track. You that is so well articulated. Forming your life around how you feel and how you want it to feel, right? I think that is so important, and it's 
challenging at times to have the courage to call that out, but I commend you on it. And I can, I can tell, I can, I can feel the way the energy shifted when we started talking about this in terms of, it's just what I think is bringing it all together for you. Obviously you get to focus on performance, building a business, all that fun stuff whilst doing it with your wife and having the flexibility. And it's a big statement to take your kids out for ice cream. You know, on a Wednesday, people without kids wouldn't necessarily understand that. They will one day. I think, um, you know, in a world that's always on and a world where you're not always able to be flexible, having the, the ability to do that is, is a blessing. <clears throat> so we're going to land this plane, Justin. I just really want to thank you for your time. Super interesting conversation. A lot of range, a lot of depth, wisdom as always. Um, so where could our audience learn more about the gym? Like, is this gym launched yet? Where can they learn more about you? I know you're on LinkedIn. Yeah. Uh, LinkedIn is the best spot to, to find me. Um, I, I, part of, you know, being in the special operations community, we're really not, uh, visible on a lot of social media. So I'm still learning how to, to use social media. Uh, but I, I'm throwing stuff out there. I threw a little bit out there about my transition and just things that I was going through and things that I was thinking about. Uh, and I'm going to continue to do that. So I'll, I'll put more of our, you know, I'll continue to put updates on our journey on LinkedIn. Uh, our, our website for the gym 30 minute hit.com isn't, isn't necessarily up yet. Uh, but, uh, be, be looking out for it. And if you're in the, uh, the Northern Indianapolis area and you want to, and you're a woman and you want to punch things, uh, look us up. You can punch Justin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'm already punching back at home. I'll be, I'll be one at work too. All right, brother. Thank you so much, man. All right, brother. Appreciate it. Take care.